For the SBS studios in Artaman, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land I'm recording from. I pay my respects to the Camaragal people of the Gurungai Nation and their elders past and present. I also acknowledge the traditional owners from all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander lands you are listening from. Hi, I'm Suraj Kolaka. I immigrated to Australia as a child, and I'm still fascinated by immigrant stories. So on this podcast, I'm bringing you the stories of immigrants reliving their first year in Australia. All the hope, fear, alienation, and ultimately triumph that they experienced. My guest today is 20-year-old Ali Sina Yusofi from Afghanistan. Imagine growing up in a place where bomb blasts are routine. You'd have to grow up pretty fast, and Ali did. This is his journey to finding safety and connection. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, our wonderful guest today is Ali Sina Yusufi. Welcome. Uh, thank you so much for this opportunity and so happy to be here. Oh, not at all. You're giving us the opportunity of <laughs> listening to your story and that's what I'm really excited to get into. So, no, thank you. <laughs> yes, so, so tell me about yourself. So, uh, in 2002, I was born in <laughs> Ghazni, which is a small province in Afghanistan. And uh, most of my little childhood, I was in Afghanistan, but because of like the situation in Afghanistan and everything that happened, my family just decided to move from there, which was very hard for them because they did live in a province where they were just farmers. Right. <laughs> and after having too many kids and my dad <laughs> passing away. Uh, sorry to hear that. No, that's okay. And then my mom had to make the difficult move to, you know, move away from there just for us. So she just moved from there and then came to Pakistan around 2009. So yeah. you would have been seven then. Yeah, around that time. In the first seven years, what do you remember from Afghanistan? I had a very, like, normal childhood, I think that you could say. And, you know, I was a kid and saw Afghanistan as this beautiful country. You know, no other country could compare. As you grow up, you kind of do realize that, oh, it's not all that. And the people in there, it's very hard. Uh, my first interaction was seeing a bunch of... The, another ethnic kids who came into the area and they basically bullied us because we looked very different to what they look like because we are Hazaras mm -hmm. and Hazaras ethnically do have that small eyes and Asian feature. Right. Yeah, because most Afghans, they don't look Asian. So there's our people who look very Asian. Right. Yeah, and that's when a lot of kids would call us names that goes back around a long time ago when there was a king who took our people as slaves and took uh, murdered them mostly. It was like a cleansing, ethnic cleansing ah, that they did. Awful. And, yeah. yeah, and they had these phrases that they would call us, which was like in Farsi, it would be mushkhor, which is like a mouse eater. Yeah, because that's it goes back to when our people were like in caves and they had nothing to eat. So Damn. mouses were the only thing. That's why they came in. That's when I realized that I was like, huh, before I didn't know I was Hazara or I just knew I was Afghan. And I remember crying 
because these kids are really horrible and they yeah. said all of these things and I had no idea what they were. But you do realize that you are different than them. Yeah. And yeah, but after we moved to the big city, which was Kabul, because mm-hmm. we moved from there to Kabul and Kabul was more, I guess, because it was it is the capital city. So it's more like a bit diverse. You see a bit more of your people there. I felt pretty comfortable in there but it still was seeing like a lot of these kids and a lot of them would bully Hazara kids and mm. yeah it was just tough seeing that absolutely and what age uh, did you move to Kabul I think I was five or four okay yeah and then you spent a couple of years couple there. of years there before my mom fully decided to leave Afghanistan and then we moved to Pakistan because she wanted us to actually go to school because it was hot in she couldn't work she had like no one to pay for our education so she moved to pakistan hoping to find a new life my auntie lived there as well so she was hoping on my auntie to help us out yeah and she moved to pakistan around 2009 and yeah that's when my next journey began <laughs> yeah so uh 2009 you moved to pakistan mm-hmm. you're a young six seven year old kid yeah uh, that's the first big move, uh, big move of yeah. your life uh, mm. take me through how that felt so we moved to koita koita is predominantly hazaras mm-hmm. and um, we moved to a place called it's a suburb called hazara town which is mostly Hazaras and Koita is like the safe haven for Hazaras because most of the other places in Pakistan, it is very difficult to get into, especially if you are coming in illegally right? and having no visas and everything. So Hazara town was the safest place to go to yeah. because you have your people and everyone, your culture. But yeah, we moved there and it was very different seeing everyone talk in Urdu, but where we lived, we did talk in like Hazaragi, Farsi. Yeah. But you do have to learn Urdu. So Urdu was like my second language because in the schools you have to talk in Urdu and your subjects are in Urdu and English. So I did grow up learning those two languages and it was very fascinating moving from like a rural area and now to like a whole other country with a whole different language to learn and everything it was fun for me though because i hadn't gone to school so now going to school how was that were, were they strict were they how- pakistani schools were strict yeah i'm gonna lie they would hit you <laughs> for the smallest things oh, so yeah. if your nails weren't cut too short oh i remember the nails yes <laughs> yeah oh my god if your shoes weren't black enough or yeah. on mondays they would especially check the haircuts yes the days that you would forget it was so strict <laughs> because you had to like fully make yourself presentable to go in they would have a huge assembly where the teachers after you sing the national anthem and everything the teachers would just come in and they would you had to show your hands like this yeah and they would check everything your haircut your clothes if not if you didn't meet these requirements they would pull you aside and after that, they would just give you two hits on your hands. And it was terrifying for a young kid to get hit. Yeah. I remember my first hit and it was not, it was ugly. <laughs> yeah, it's so stressful, right? It is. It, it takes is. me back. As soon as you mentioned the yeah. fingernails, I got taken back right to primary school in yeah, India. Exactly. Because we had the exact, the exact same, same thing. thing. Oh. Oh. And for boys, you had to get 
the like one haircut. It was called Foji haircut, which yeah. means like soldier haircut. Yeah, the crew cut. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I had to be that all the time. <laughs> I don't know how they checked it. Uh, mm. Tell me how they checked it there. But the way they did it at our school was mm. they'd have like prefects and stuff that would oh. stand where uh-huh. uh, we would line up and go back to class. Mm-hmm. They would put their fingers through your hair. <clears throat> oh. And then if the hair came up beyond the width, the width. of a finger, yeah. then you don't have a crew cut <laughs> and you, you're getting in trouble. No, for the hair, they would just look at it. Yeah. Yeah, they wouldn't like put their hands <laughs> through your hair and check it. Yeah, thankfully. The discipline stuff takes me back. Yeah, it sticks with you no matter how old you get. 100%. It sticks with you. 100%. At exactly. the time you think, okay, whatever, because yeah. that's all you know. Exactly. When you reminisce about these times, it feels different. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You ask us then. Yeah. You, you'll be like, okay, this is normal. She's... Like, schools are like this. Yeah. But yeah. once you do move to another country, yeah. again. Can't even imagine uh, no. and in a school here yeah. in Australia. Oh, no. Yeah, I yeah. remember when I first moved here. Yeah. In year six, and mm. when I heard that they don't hit you or anything, <laughs> I was like, "Oh my god, <laughs> this is heaven!" <laughs> like the teachers don't hit you. <laughs> I remember this one student being so rude to the teacher. Yeah. I was like, but I could never do that. Yes. If we were like speaking just a little bit louder than the teacher, yeah. you get hit. Oh my god. Like straight away. Yeah. And then in there you wouldn't. So I was like, oh my, this is this is heaven. Yeah. This is the best school. <laughs> <laughs> Good. So t- going back to uh, school in mm. Pakistan. Yeah. How old were you when you went to school? I was eight. Yeah. And they just put me through from the start since I had no prior schooling or Absolutely. anything. Yeah. They wanted me to start from the absolute start. Which made sense, right? Like exactly. for you, it felt like I probably think the best decision. Yeah. It was definitely better because if I had gone to year like three, three or something, yeah. And seeing the content around that time and not knowing a word of English would Urdu, stress you out so That much. would have been crazy for me. Yeah. Like the sciences that we did were very advanced yeah. there. Outside of school, mm. In Pakistan, between the ages of uh, 7 and 11, mm-hmm. how was it? Pakistan, it was okay from the start. Around 2011 mm-hmm. was when um, a lot of things started to happen. So, as you know, Hazaras are a Shia minority. So, in Islam, there are two sectors. Yeah. There's the Sunni and the Shias. So, yeah. Hazaras are mostly Shias. And then in Pakistan, it's like 95% Sunnis. There was this organization that they formed because they hated Shias so much. It was called the Lashkari Jangwi that they called themselves. And from 2011, they started these attacks on Hazaras. It started from killing people on the street. And that was the first thing that happened in Quetta. And everyone was shocked seeing that because it was... They were killed because of their identity. And it was most particularly hard on my mom because she fled from that, from Afghanistan. And now having to experience that again, it was very hard for her. Around January 10th, I think it was, 2013, was when um, there was three explosions in that area. And I think it was like over 90 people that were killed and they were all Hazaras. That's when Koytel was like, the most vulnerable life in there it just started to get 
like Afghanistan. I remember being so happy, you know, having a normal childhood, playing mm. on the streets with the kids every time, playing cricket, yeah. <laughs> badminton and everything. And then out of nowhere, some days you would just have these explosions. And for a whole month, there was a park, which is like similar to Luna Park that we mm -hmm. had. And we went there for many times. But after 2011, not one Hazara were going there because that's how serious it was getting this party, Lashkar Jangwe, that they called themselves. Every time they would do these attacks, they would proudly announce that they did it. They would write an article about it, that they did, like, God's work. And, wow. yeah, always saying that they did God's work and they will go to heaven. And that's how they recruit others as well. Because they're like, you're doing God's work. You're going to go heaven if you kill these people because, you know, God will love you more. Yeah, just a brainwash <laughs> exactly, from a young from age. from a young age. <coughs> and most of the suicide bombers, they were young boys yeah. who would be filled with all of these explosives who would just come into, like, our town and where it would get most busy. Mm. They would just blast themselves off and kill people unbelievable yeah and i can't imagine the mm. fear and terror you would have yeah. of walking around and definitely what would be going through your mind on a day-to-day -day basis yeah being young and exposed to that yeah it was just different it was difficult and you moved into Hazara town thinking it's a safe haven you absolutely know? and out of nowhere is starting to happen People yeah are actually dying and as a young kid it's very hard to process that mm -hmm. and you know your mom not letting you go outside anymore i imagine like thinking back now you would go absolutely mom was you know making the right, the right choice of keeping yeah. but at the time as a kid oh. you would want to play in the streets you know exactly. you would want to do normal like kid things lockdown. yeah yeah like you couldn't go outside and you sometimes other kids would come out and you hear their voices their excitement yeah and their screams and it would just urge you even more to get out but you couldn't because your mom, you know, like I still thank her to this day for all the sacrifices that she has done for us. Yeah. But yeah, as a young kid, you just kind of like hate on her <laughs> for not letting you go outside. And all these other moms are letting their kids, but you're not letting me. But yeah. yeah. Were there situations where you felt there were close calls with explosions? Oh, definitely. So in February 16, 2013, I'll never forget this day. So me and my mom, we went to the bazaar which is uh, the small ones in our town. We went to buy shoes because school was starting and yeah. I needed like new black shoes. And we went to a place called Kirani Road. It's where the, it's very busy. People sell vegetables. There's a girls Iranian school where they teach Irani. And there's a mosque as well, which gets super full uh, during like the prayer times. Mm -hmm. uh, we went there around like three in the afternoon and we just shopped around for a bit. Around 4.30, uh, my mom was like, okay, we got to go home. It's getting late. And I remember I wanted to stay more and look <clears> around <throat> all the other shops, buy coats and yeah. everything that I could. But she was just like, no, we got to go. We got to go. So we went home. And after half an hour, we I remember sitting at home and the doors were open. And out of nowhere, this huge like explosion at the time you don't think it's explosion yeah. you think it's earthquake because the doors just hit and it just passed over you so wow. you're just like everyone got out everyone was in the streets and um we were all like oh my god what was it and you see a smoke coming out 
there's a huge black smoke that came out and i think that's when my like the adults knew what had happened yeah so everyone rushed back in and they turned on the news and i was just so confused with my little siblings and um i was like what's happening to my mom and she's like nothing it's just like a little earthquake that's it and as she was just trying to sugarcoat it and yeah. everything but after at least half an hour later you hear the ambulance sirens and everything and then once you turn on the news you heard that oh there was a big explosion in Karani road oh wow in there i always think about this it's like imagine staying the half an hour later there and not coming home like as early and i don't for know for the coats yeah if i did go for the coats i had no idea what would have happened they did it around five, like fifteen or something. Forty-five minutes. Yeah, that's, that's all. when like all the schools would like finish, like at five. Yeah, the Iranian girls' school finishes at five. Oh wow! And um, all the people. That's when like the prayer that for the night comes in as well. Oh. So people are rushing in to get in. They put it all like a lot of explosives in this huge tank. Back in Pakistan, there's tanks that you the water tanks. Yes. That, so they can bring water to your home. So they put it in there and they just went through there and then exploded at the right place where it killed like over 100 people. I think 150 or something. Unbelievable. Yeah, and most of them were like little kids, the Iranian girls who were like burned up to like point we can't see them. There's like interviews from their parents who had a hard time identifying their young ones. Such they a couldn't, Yeah, they couldn't identify them. And once I, like, heard about that, I remember just crying. Because mm. that's when you, like, kind of grow up in a day. Like, yeah. in a day, you just grow up. That's when, like, you have your experience. Like, you're like, oh, my God. Like, what if I was there? Mm. And they're actual kids. Because the past explosions that did happen, they were mostly adults, male adults. This time, it was, like, normal kids who are your age, kids younger than you, kids who yeah. are five years old went shopping with their parents all like just gone and that hits you really hard and just the next day it was just miserable for everyone especially the families that lost all their loved ones some families lost like five some lost one and I remember everyone was coming to each other's houses because there were so many victims that they didn't have enough like ice just put on it because the, there was like a, just one huge hospital in Koita. Right. So they didn't have spots for them and they didn't have enough ice. So everyone would go around each other's houses to get ice. And then you see the photos of the victims, the kids and everyone. That was the one that we had the most close call. Yeah. I guess. Horrifying. One of the things I will never forget. I can just remember everything about it. The emotions, the feelings, experience, the time, day everything i just remember it but yeah 2013 definitely was one of like the black year they call it yeah in our culture for koita and yeah thankfully it hasn't like happened like such a major ones till now yeah the the tragedy of a parent outliving oh. their child especially when it's uh not an accident but mm -hmm. you know an act of terror. Yeah. I can't imagine what that would have been like for, especially mm. to see it up close, to see it in, you know, the family and the friends. Yeah. It has become normal for Hazara women, honestly. It has wow. become normal. 
at that time in Hazara town, the explosions were reducing. Yeah. And was that around the time that your mother decided to try to come to mm. Australia? So my older brother, when we did move into like Pakistan in 2009 or 2008, he didn't come there. He got a visa to come here. Right. So once he did come here, he did something to bring us. So we were waiting. That's why we, we were in Pakistan. So we were like just waiting. Right. Yeah. And around 20, like end of 2013, mm -hmm. it got like the visas got approved. And like by 2014, like we came here. Right. So yeah. it was uh, with the work of your older, older brother. brother that you yeah. were able to yeah. come to Australia. He was sick of it. He couldn't go to school or anything. Yeah. So he wanted a different life for himself. And once he got the chance to come here, he tried to propose for us to get visas and then come here as well. And thankfully, it did get approved after like three years mm -hmm. since he did it. And then we had the chance to like fully come to a like whole different continent. Yeah. <laughs> whole different language again. Yeah, completely new world. Completely new world. Take me through that. What was it like before you came to Australia? Once you knew you were going mm. to Australia, what was mm. that like? It was, I was happy, yeah. but also sad because I had kind of like grown up with some of the kids on the streets. Absolutely. And seeing that I got this opportunity and go to a whole ass different country. Yeah. And um, it was bittersweet. I felt sad leaving them, but also was very excited of the opportunities and the new experiences and the education and especially freedom. Yeah. And not feeling... Like you are targeted. Yeah. And just security was one of like the things in my mind that I was most excited about. And I you guess. were how old when this was happening? Uh, so when I, we got the visa, it was like around 11. 11. Yeah. And uh, as you were saying, such a, a tricky time for you, bittersweet mm. in that you're, you're 11 and, yeah. you know, you're... Um, looking at your friends mm. and you want to kind of bundle them all up and take yeah, them with you. It was really sad on the last day when we were leaving and most of the kids were following our van and they were like waving goodbye. I just wanted to cry. Yeah, that sounds that, painful. Yeah, it was seeing all the kids that you kind of like played cricket with. Yeah, I remember one kid, he came to my house and knocked because he didn't know we were leaving. Yeah, He came and knocked and he was like, come play cricket. We like got everything set up. And I was like, oh my God, I'm leaving. And um, yeah, and then we kind of like cried together. <laughs> And then, yeah, once we were leaving, them like five to six kids who were waving goodbye and mm. all, like seeing them from the window and the mirrors. It was like really sad. And once I did get here for like a whole three months, I was just feeling guilty. And yeah, yeah it was just their memories would kind of like make me depressed for a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. I can I can see how that would mm. be so difficult. Very difficult. Yeah. Take me to first day in Australia. <laughs> What was it like coming into the airport and uh, take me through, put yourself in, in yeah. your shoes? So I had never then. seen like black people, white people. So it was such a good experience to finally like see a whole diverse people. Yeah. Yeah, because I kind of grew up with Afghans mostly. Yeah. And so coming to a new continent, seeing the people in the airports, speaking English so 
nice and yeah. fluently. And I couldn't even understand them because they were speaking so fast. <laughs> yeah. And no one in my family could. So when they were asking for like passports and everything, we were just like, what? <laughs> we don't know what you're saying. But yeah, but thankfully they did have like a translator there. So they kind of like helped us through. But yeah, it was, the airport was huge. Which airport was this at? This was at Sydney, Sydney airport. Yeah. yeah, when we were just coming in. Yeah. And finally got to see our brother for like years. And yeah. it was a bittersweet moment, like seeing him and he cried mm. when he finally saw us. And this was around like 10 at night. So we couldn't like see the whole streets and everything. Yeah. So as soon as we got home, we just went to sleep. But the next day when we did get up, we got to see the houses. It was so different. <laughs> the houses were so different, the way they were built and everything and seeing the parks so green and not seeing like just because in Kuwaita, it was, there was no green. Yeah. It was just dust. buildings and dust. Yeah. yeah. And finally seeing like green everywhere in the parks. It was just so nice to see that. And I remember we were going to like Bankstown. Mm. Yeah. And then I saw McDonald's for the first time. Yes. <laughs> I had heard so much about it. <laughs> I finally got to try it and it was so like different. Yeah. Because you're expecting so much. As a yeah. young kid, you see like their ads every time on yeah. the TV. Absolutely. You're like, oh my God, this is McDonald's. <laughs> and you get to try that. But yeah, it was, it was so fun trying mm. all of these, seeing new people, finally got to see like huge buildings yeah skyscrapers right we'd see it in every like bollywood bollywood hollywood movies and once you actually get to see them and how tall they are you're just like oh my god yeah like wow (laughs) this has to be fake yeah but it's not you're trying to like process the moment (laughs) i remember seeing opera house in the opera house and the harbor bridge for the first time yeah surreal unbelievable unbelievable because yeah. you see their photos and once you actually got to experience them, like I was like touching them yeah, and everything. And <laughs> I think the people who were there, they were like, what is he doing? <laughs> but in my mind, I was just like, oh my God. You're in a music video. Yeah, I finally am here. <laughs> yeah. So when you came over in those first few weeks, how did it feel meeting Australian people and, mm-hmm. and what did their, you know, the way they carry themselves, the way they talk, how did that, how did that feel? Um, the ones that I met were honestly really amazing people. Yeah. They were so understanding and just caring. And they would try their best to be respectful in any way they could. And it was tough because I didn't understand what they were saying. So that's what, that was one of the tough things. But I could tell they were being like really nice and everything. And, and how did you feel about like the colloquialisms of, you know, the speech patterns and things like that in Australia? Did it take a while to get used to it? Yeah, it did. It did. Uh, I wasn't used to it at first, but being like, I think like at least by three, four months yeah. took me after I went to school. I like got used to it. Yeah. The first time you hear yeah, nah. Yeah. (laughs) All the slangs (laughs) and everything. It was already tough for me to understand English and (laughs) seeing their slangs. I was like, oh my God. Yeah. I have no idea what you're saying. (laughs) Let me process what you're saying first. (laughs) So much of your story, you know, I'm thinking Mm. back and it mirrors exactly because we came over at the same age, basically at 11. 11. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what was the first year like? Uh, What uh, else stood out to you? The school. Mm -hmm. Going to school the first time. I didn't have uniform because um, they... 
so what the government did, they kind of like gave us housing for mm-hmm. a month, and then we would get our own housing. So once I went to the school, like for just a month, they didn't give me uniforms. So I remember just going the first day at school and being <laughs> so scared to yeah. like knock on the door because all the primary kids would sit on floors. Yes. And the teachers would just sit there. So the door was like right there. Yeah. And the, um, what's the office lady was with me. So she was like, this is your new classroom. And I was like, okay. And she was like, go on. I was like, no, I can't knock. I was so scared. I was like five minutes there. I'm like, I can't do this. Yeah. Like I can't, what if they start looking at me? I don't have uniform on. I don't have anything. Yeah. What if the teacher takes me outside and is like, you don't have uniform. Like, your nails are not cut or anything like that. Yeah, I your was hair. so scared. Exactly. My hair was long. And she was like, no, 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 darling. You don't need to worry about these. And then I was like, okay. And then she finally like opened the door without even telling me. And then all these kids, their heads just turned. Yeah. And they were looking at me. I was so scared and nervous. And then I finally saw my teacher. Her name was Miss Coyle. And she was so amazing. And then I went in and all of these kids started to talk, talk to me. And but I didn't know what they were saying. <laughs> I only got like, oh, my name is this. And then I was like, oh, nice to meet you. And yeah. all that. We would have like ESL classes for kids. So like it was fine. But just talking with these kids and trying to learn their language and their accents and everything. <laughs> like that, that really did help me out. And I yeah. was feeling so um, homesick and bittersweet about leaving the my friends behind yeah so finding these new friends when they like they it really did help me like transition into fully like uh processing that you now live in a different place like yeah 100 percent. you just live in a different place now yeah mm. and uh, outside of school what was the situation like you said you stayed in a housing place for a month and yeah. then you moved after that yeah so they normally give refugees like uh month housing right and then after that like it's you so my brother thankfully he did have enough so yeah that's so short yeah, right a month is so hard to pull exactly, everything to together pull everything together that's why my brother thankfully was there. He like helped everyone get settled in and then like he got a house and he was renting that out. So that one that was nice being reassured that he knew what he was doing. And what yeah. was it like for your mother uh coming in? She's by herself yeah. basically at this point. She hasn't talked about it much, but I could tell she was very depressed. Yeah. It was so hard for her and like, you know, I can't tell her experiences from from her like i need to sure. ask her but i've just thinking about it, i feel like it must have been hard for her mm. she did move and from afghanistan to pakistan and now in a different country where it, i think it'll be more harder for her to learn english she's still like learning english now right she hasn't mastered it and but yeah, I think it was really difficult for her, just leaving her sisters behind, yeah, her mother behind, and everyone behind, and starting a new life alone. Yeah, because we didn't have any family here, so I feel like it must have been like really tough for her. Even in Pakistan, she had her sister there, yeah, who helped her as much as she could. Yeah, and now that she is in a fully different country where she knows no one, yeah must have been like really like hell for her i feel like yeah like she must have been happy to finally be like free and everything exactly but she must have been depressed and alone yeah because south asian family is so close knit. so close yeah everything like like all the festivals together going yeah. to each other's houses like every week 
or every day. Like I remember going to my auntie's house like every day. It was just so fun to go have sleepovers there and everything. And once we got here, we had no one, no cousins, no family. So we didn't do any of that. And like, and all the festivals in the Islamic calendar that would come in, it would just be alone, like by ourselves. Yeah. So it must have been really tough for her. Yeah. Really tough. So then uh, in the first, you know, handful of months, mm. uh, it must have been difficult for her to socialize as well. Yeah. And make friends. Exactly. Did that change after a while? Yes, it did. Thankfully, she went to TAFE and um, she met similar women who came from Afghanistan as well. Excellent. Yeah. And they didn't know English. So <laughs> she had at least five women who didn't know how to speak English, but knew Hazaragi, like Dari. Oh, perfect. Yeah, and she kind of like became friends with them and she's still friends with them to this day. Really good friends. Yeah. Kind of like become her family. I can imagine because now they have the exact same experience, speak the same language. Exactly. So I was really glad to hear that because I was really scared for her. Yeah. Because I didn't think she would get adjusted that easily as how we did. I was really scared for her on the first day of TAFE because um, I must have imagined, must have been like no Hazaras, no Afghanis, and she has no clue what's going on. But thankfully, she found people there, and she's still very close with them to this day. That's excellent. Yeah. How fortunate is that? Exactly. That she found Hazara. I'm so glad that she did. Especially where, like, we live, there are not many Hazaras. Most Hazaras in Australia live in Maryland or Oven. Right. So where we lived and seeing Hazaras, uh, it was, I think, meant to be, I guess, yeah. for her. And they're still very good friends to this day. So I feel like it was meant to be. <laughs> Excellent. Then uh, after primary school, you would have gone to high, high school, school soon after, right? <laughs> yeah. What high was that school. like? High school was different. Yeah. So in year six, we didn't have like exams and everything. I was just chilling. <laughs> and year seven was like, it just started. And, you know, like I was used to it because in Pakistan, we did have exams every time. And just that year, I got lazy because we didn't have exams and everything. <laughs> so high school was this, it was a really huge thing for primary kids. I didn't know at the time, but all the kids there, they would make such huge fuss about high school. And it truly was because it you truly transitioning from primary to high school. So high school was this big thing for a lot of year seven kids who were there. Yeah. When I went there, not many, not one of my primary friends went with me to that high school. So like the first day of year seven was just terrifying. Mm. Did you find that because of the traumatic stuff that you had gone through in mm. your childhood overseas, it put you in a different level of maturity to the kids around you in high school? Yeah, I did. I mean, all of the kids in my class, none of them had experiences like that. I mean, I can't tell for sure, but none of them like were from Afghanistan or Pakistan. And most of them like grew up here. So I'd always like put myself into this one category that I'm like, oh, I had such a traumatic past. But I wouldn't tell anyone because if I, I felt like if I did, they would just be like, oh my God. Like, who cares or anything? And I never told anyone. So no one would, like, look at me and be like, oh, my God, he's had such a huge past. And no one would even think I was from Afghanistan. So I remember just everyone telling me, are you from Philippines or you're from Malaysia? And I was like, no, (laughs) I'm from Afghanistan. But, yeah, yeah, I'd never told anyone about my experiences until I met this one girl. She was exactly from the same place. 
She lived through the same thing in the same year. She came in the same year as me. Wow. So What she was, year level was that? Um, this was in year nine. Right. When she came in from Auburn High School to my high school. And then we got to know each other. We're still good friends to this day. And that's when I kind of like talked to her about everything that happened. And she told me her story as well, which was very similar to mine. And that was mostly the first time that I ever told anyone in Australia about my past. So you're in year nine and mm -hmm. the first time you're I meeting someone that, that has yeah. the exact same experience. Yeah. The I catharsis of that must have been. Yeah, it was relieving. It was such a. It's like a huge weight just lifted off your shoulder because once I got to know her view and everything and how she didn't like always put herself in the category, it helped me as well to just look at it in a different light and just kind of like help yourself grow again and more from your past and maybe speak out about it wonderful and yeah. the impact you would have had on her similarly yeah probably. would have been great for her as well because yeah. she would have gone through a very similar yeah, she told me she hadn't told anyone as well there you go exactly yeah so we were that's why we kind of like became really close because we just talked about our experiences and then we found another group and then we told them and then they were just so acknowledging and really um respectful the way they were talking to us and understanding our past and felt reassuring and felt happy about it awesome so that opened the door yeah it opened the door to fully like oh now i can talk tell to people excellent yeah very good because good. you didn't feel like it was just you bringing this story it was yeah. you and her because even now if i tell people there's been another blast in afghanistan everyone be like oh my god that's like every day And so most of the times I kind of like don't tell. Like if, every time I feel like I would post on my story on social media that, oh, this has happened. Sometimes I double think and I'm like, oh, like it happens so often that these people are just like, oh, that's just his story. He's just always putting stuff like that up. Yeah, it's yeah, wild that atrocities happening at such an alarming rate yeah. normalizes that them. it becomes so normal for yeah. the people here because you have lived through that, so you know how it feels. But the people who haven't and just hearing the news all the time, that it just becomes so normal. They're just like, oh, just another blast. Like, that's fine. Like, another one. Like, another one. Yeah, and once you have lived through that and see the victims and their photos and everything that come up, It just, it's painful. So you have to, like, I do want to talk about it and let people know that this is still going on. I wish it had stopped, but it has tremendously got worse in Afghanistan. Like, ever since the Taliban took over, it's just been yeah. hell. I was, absolutely, and thank you for, you know, talking mm -hmm. about uh, all this stuff. I wanted to ask you about that as well. What was no, it like when you first heard that news mm -hmm. and what was your reaction and your thoughts at the time? absolutely terrified <laughs> i couldn't believe it i was shocked i remember i was at uni and um someone told me that like oh my god um the taliban are taking over i was like no way that's a joke has to be a joke and uh it wasn't and it was just a small part of afghanistan and it wasn't like the huge city or anything or the major cities so i was just like oh maybe they're just like retaking what was theirs that they deemed as theirs mm. so but like and then i heard the news on facebook that like in 90 days they could take over the whole country and i was like 
no one, like no one's gonna let that happen. That's not gonna happen. But it did, <laughs> and that was shocking. I couldn't believe it because just thinking about it, how like my mom used to talk about like how in two thousand one they took over and how terrifying they made it for the especially women in Afghanistan and how tough it was for the people there. I couldn't like everyone was scared. My mom was even more scared because her sisters were there. Her family was there. Wow. Yeah, and she was she just went back into thinking that all of these things could happen in 2021. Hmm. She couldn't imagine it. Even I couldn't imagine it, that these things could happen. She would just called them every night and once they did take over, I remember her crying and we were all like really sad that like actually this happened, like literally happened. Like we didn't think it could ever happen with, you know, all of the people there and everything. We didn't think it was going to happen, but it did. And that was in 2021 as well. Like it was just hard and all of these emotions and things that you kind of like put aside comes back and just have to like, I guess, can't do anything about it. Just have to accept it. Yeah. And yeah, that's everyone in Afghanistan right now. All they've done is just accept it and move on. Because they can't do anything about it. Wow. You can't overthrow them. Yeah. So yeah. what was the fallout of that? Like, you know, with mm. how your family was reacting and were mm. they thinking of trying to get out of there or was that impossible? I didn't personally talk to them, but my mom did talk to them and mm. she was really scared for them. Yeah. She all like, they would cry, both of them from both sides yeah they would just cry especially from afghanistan because they were they were just they had, my auntie has like really little kids and um she just didn't know what to do and you know my mom she, i was just thinking like how my mom felt like that as well and she and now they couldn't even escape because all the borders were closed and everything and even if she did escape where was she gonna go yeah like she can't just illegally go pakistan now or Iran. It's too dangerous. It's too dangerous. Like, she can't. She was, like, stuck. And I was just imagining her experiences of just, like, being stuck and all that. I couldn't even imagine, like, how tough it must have been for her and all her kids and what she must be thinking about the future of her little kids that are still there and still stuck. It's still, like, still, like, just hurts me and seeing all of these other blasts at especially education centers that's been happening it's always at schools that they're targeting and i have no idea why it's always at schools and just seeing their photos come up after they've been killed and everything the family's stories is just terrifying and sad that it's still going on it's tragic been, yeah i can't believe that's still going on like how many more times do they have to offer sacrifices until they stop yeah, I don't think they're ever going to stop. But I hope one day that Afghanistan does no peace and fully enjoy peace and their human rights. I hope so, too. Yeah, it's all I have for them. But, yeah, it was just difficult wrapping your head around that the Taliban have taken over. Yeah, it sounds unreal, right? It does. I still can't imagine it. I literally can't. I always think, like, how are the people going to have weddings now? <laughs> yeah. How are they going to like do any things that they used to do? Like any kind of gathering, any kind of gathering is like, how are they going to do that? Like I have no idea. And like, uh, just a few days ago, the Taliban, I think announced that the women have to fully cover up again. 
like Damn. fully and it's just taking you back to like 2001 and that's just crazy of how they're backwarding instead of going forward they're just going backwards yeah and it's all because of them they just and especially for women i feel for them like imagine the ones that have no males in their house like how are they gonna earn money for their family what are they gonna do it's not like taliban i'm gonna pay them absolutely or the government there is no government now so just chaos yeah i have no idea what they're gonna do so yeah all i can do is just pray and spread the voices so people can help do at least something no thank you so much for for all of that uh really fascinating to Mm. hear uh and uh and thank you for you know yeah telling those no no worries thank you for the opportunity you know i'm glad like people who will listen to this will get an idea of the hazaras and what's been happening and you know they can't just learn it from the news they're just like oh it's another blast like understanding and seeing that it'll be good to you know learn about hazaras yeah they're they're real people real faces real, real faces. names behind those numbers yeah. that you see as exactly injured in each exactly little there news are kids clipping. you know the kids who just want life there are some kids who don't even know about anything yeah but they get killed and you know it just turns the world upside down for the mm. parents and everyone it's difficult yeah. Thank you so much for coming mm. on. Uh, listening to your story uh, has been absolutely fascinating, mm. and and heartbreaking, and heartwarming, and everything in between. Exactly. And uh, seeing parts of uh, reflections of my own story in yours, mm-hmm. and then parts of your experiences which are so harrowing I can't even imagine. Yeah. Seeing both those has uh, you know been really enlightening, and uh, and I can only thank you for uh, coming on and, and sharing these stories with us. No, thank you so much for the opportunity. I'm so glad that you know I get to share my story and people to listen and know about Hazaras and. You know, if they could at least help one people, you know, it'd be like the world to me, seeing them learning about Hazaras and their struggles and, you know, sharing my personal story. And so grateful for, you know, just for you listening (laughs) and being, you know, um, respectful and just happy to listen to my story. But yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for joining me for another episode. Next week, I'm joined by Anne-Emily Perrell from France. She left home to follow love and followed her adventures partner into the Aussie Outback. You can find more info at sbs.com.au slash myfirstyear. My First Year on Aussie Soil is an SBS original podcast. It's created and produced by me, Suraj Kolaka and Danny Giles. to reset great minds is a podcast from sbs that guides you through different meditation styles from around the world listen wherever you get your podcasts